Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, where our hearts are our masters. Your hosts are Nancy L. Hopkins and Walt Silva. Producing the show is Colleen Kelly. The theme song is called Disturbance and is written and performed by Renate Jet and Jet Music. You are listening to Wolf Spirit Radio at wolfspiritradio.com. Emotionally undercover for a lover overdressed. The cycle is created long before you start to think that the blink is your decision what you do. No clue for the food fighters. Indiana. Well, here it's very, very cloudy, rather cool. It's like 50-something outside and feels as cold in here. <laughs> I was saying earlier that I've got um, corduroy pants on, socks, long shirt, sweatshirt with the hood up, my hand warmers, and a blanket on my lap. <laughs> so I'm kind of holding off putting the furnace on. So it's a damp cold? Is it a damp cold? I don't know if it's damp or not. It's just cold. Because <laughs> at 50 up there, most of the time, that's okay with people up there. Um, Walter, you got that kind of cold, too? Well, it's, it's chilly, It's uh, but it's, it's not cold. Uh, cold is when you wake up in the morning and there's frost on the grass. That's my definition of cold. But uh, this morning... Uh, uh, Gandhi's pool is liquid water, so therefore it's not cold enough to freeze yet. Well, if I saw frost on the on the grass, I would think we were in a in a terrible winter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everybody's doing good. How about you, Walt? You doing all right? Uh, yeah. Just the uh, you know, um, autumn is making its way known. It's it's coming around, so we have you know nice. Cool days. Some days are chilly, others are not. Uh, today's been cloudy all day, so it is uh, nice and humid outside. Uh, Minnesota is notorious because once winter sets in, it's a miracle if you can get 30% relative humidity inside the house. It's so dry here when winter comes in. So not like uh, New York where it's 100% humidity, so... <laughs> 32 degrees feel like it's uh, 10 degrees. Yeah, the higher the humidity, the colder it'll feel. The colder it gets. <laughs> That's one of the problems down here is that when it gets, well, they said it was a 20 degree. At one point, there was a um, a humidity factor to the cold. And they were saying it was 20 degrees colder on our bodies than what it was registering um, on the on the thermometer. And uh, I know I go up to Massachusetts and it's 40 degrees and it's like, eh, it's chilly, but it's okay. Down here, uh-uh, I'd have the heaters on. Full blast. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that humidity thing. And you do, Gail, uh, if memory serves in Minnesota, I mean, in Florida, not all of Florida, obviously, but there are parts of Florida that do get hit with cold snaps, like frost. Like, I mean, I've seen pictures of, like, little icicles on oranges and, and the farmers complaining that it's it's ruined the, the harvest or something like that. Oh so yeah. It, yeah, we'll get cold snaps all the way down through the state. Where uh-huh. you know like like in south in the south part of the uh county you have a lot of um uh tomato plants and stuff. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> yeah, there's many, many a night where they have to be out all night putting water on top of everything. 
so that they won't. Oh, wow. And and the strawberries. They've had, you know, catastrophes with a freeze coming in and the strawberries. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it gets down here. One time, in seven, I think it was 76, it actually snowed in Miami. It didn't last. It didn't stay on the ground or anything, but it definitely was in the air. So, <clears throat> yeah, you can't figure out. Um, one of the coldest times of my life was so bad, and this, this must have been back in the 80s. And it was around Christmas time because I remember we were trying to cook a turkey and there was so, it was so cold that people were trying anything to stay warm. It was in the thirties. And uh, oh, for you guys, that's freezing cold. That's freezing. <clears throat> and they were doing all sorts of, you know, putting on more heaters than they ever. And so <clears throat> in order to keep the grid up, the electric grid up even partially, they were doing these brownouts. So you'd get about 40, 45 minutes. It seems to me, I don't remember exactly what it was, but you wouldn't get much time. And so you're trying to cook this, this turkey, you know, and it's like, oh crap, we just lost the power again. And then it come back on. And it, it was, it was just awful. It was, but that, since then, no, nothing, nothing like that. Um, so you, uh, y'all can come down to Florida when it gets too bad up there. I'll pitch a tent in the backyard for you. <laughs> Okay, so um, we do not have a guest. Um, however, I do have to update you on the um, the Barbara Three Crow story because I was talking with Barbara because the reason that I even heard about her was I came on and listened to uh, a reading of Dolly, Dolly Reads for You, and she was doing um, one of Barbara's, well, she wasn't even doing it. Maybe she had finished a book. I don't know, but Barbara was on there talking with Dolly. And I was just mesmerized by this woman. I, whatever she was saying was just like talking to me, you know. And um, so that there, there, there definitely was a connection from the first time I heard her. But then I did not have the time or take the time to be able to go back and listen to her shows and get a really good feeling of who she was. So then, because I was going to have her on uh, interviewer. Um, because everybody said when we started talking about uh, the First Nation and, and what we need to know to understand where we got to go from take the next step in reality building, and they all said, you got to talk to Barbara, you got to talk to Barbara. So I went and I listened to um, one of her um, her shows, and again was just like, oh, my God, this woman is so amazing. I was just <laughs> really impressed. Then I did the show with her, we did the show with her, and then I, re- I heard another one of hers, and by that time I'm going like, I want to read her books. So I had contacted her in order to see how I could get her books. And while we were chit-chatting, um, she told me, well, she had told us on air that um, her daughter had, and it kind of went by me on air, but she said that her daughter had gotten an order of shungite from us and that the pendant that she had bought for, for her mother, Barbara, wasn't there. It disappeared. And... um so I'm talking to her about this and, and her, she was telling me how, uh, her grandkids really felt the energy off of them and that they had a pond and they were thinking of throwing some of the shungite nuggets in it. And I went, you got a pond? I said, how big a pond? And she says, uh, four acres. And I said, no, don't put any shungite in it. I said, if you will, I will send you one of the water turtles. And if you'll take some measurements and pictures and, kind of document it, um, throw it in there, and, and we'll see what happens. And I just got so tickled because it goes to the synchronicity and the 
those little details I tell you, pay attention to, <clears throat> that say we're all coming together. Because I felt in the last show that she says so many things that I absolutely am attuned to and perhaps have said in different ways, but we've got these two forces of energy coming together. You know, cosmic reality and, and Turtle Island news and, and Turtle Talk all coming together. You know, all these different, and from all over the place, everybody's got this, their own energy signature, but we're all starting to say the same thing. And in many cases, the same way. So it's all coming together. It's like this wonderful little weave thing. But sometimes something kicks you in the head and you just have to, <laughs> this is preposterous. Okay. We got a water turtle. Now it's, the official name is, a shungite oxygenator, water oxygenator, which means that it makes oxygen. Um, but we started calling it the turtle because it kind of looks like a turtle sitting on a piece of, you know, like a driftwood or something. So we call it the turtle. So here we've got Barbara Three Crow who has turtle talk and she's being produced by Turtle Island News <laughs> and we're asking her to test it water turtle i mean and there's probably a lot more turtles in there that i'm not even aware of yet they'll probably crop up but the synchronicity of just just words you know sometimes you start hearing the same word three or four times and you haven't heard it hardly ever before everything is coming together it it truly is we just have to um pay attention to the details and go with the flow and be very focused on what we're thinking and how we're feeling, you know, put your focus on yourself because that's the, that's the only kind of barometer, the only kind of compass that we have in this, this new and more exciting, uh, reality that is growing up around us. Um, today I, I asked Walt earlier, I said, Walt, what do you want to talk about? Because there were so many different things that sort of cropped up in the, um, in the, the, some, some weeks I go, oh my gosh, what are we going to talk about? But this week it was like a good half dozen different subjects came up. And I did ask the, um, the chat room, I don't know, Colleen, have you looked at chat? I did ask them if they had any preference, but I don't see anything. I love the confirmation and that link you sent me for the Russian pyramids. I sent you an email, but I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet. No, I was trying to read all those things I hadn't read. <laughs> what, what did you say? Well, what I did is I cut and pasted from one small section of the page because it's such a long, never-ending page. Uh, the part about the um, the Russians, they've they've made several of these pyramids, but using the fee proportion. Like remember the the pyramid that I described that uh, on, on on the surface of Mars. Yes, yes, and I, you know, that was the thing I focused on myself. I, I, yeah, expand, expand on that because what he says in this that, um, in his experience, because a lot, what, a lot of the article is about this one guy doing his own pyramid things that are really interesting. But he said that he was only getting the responses or the results of, uh, you know, dehydration and uh, uh, resistance testing and. Some of the curly, when he had the, the, the great pyramid, um, structure. In other words, the measurements of the great pyramid. And yet these Russians have all built them in more of a, what is it? I don't remember what it is actually. Well, that, that's the thing is that instead of using 
the proportions of the Great Pyramid, right. which has a 52-degree angle. They're, they're doing like the pyramid that we offer, where it's made with a free proportion, so the base is narrow and the pyramid is very tall, so the, the, uh, the walls of the pyramid, the faces have a sharper angle. So right. the, the, did we do that on a show? Did we ever comment on that when we were doing the shamanic journey to help Mars, where I actually saw one of these life pyramids descending and I started working by sucking up all the radiation and changing the atmosphere? Did we ever do that on a show? Did we ever? Yeah, we did. And, and almost every time, well, every time we've never had a great pyramid uh, measurement come up. It's always been the, uh, the, the life one. The, well, oh, here's I, a, here's a, this was really nice confirmation where, uh, on the email you'll see that I, I cut and pasted from one of the smaller section, a small section from that page you sent where when they did this in one of the areas because they have different, they made different sizes. One is 144 feet tall, another one is 36 feet tall. Well, in one of the places where they built this particular pyramid with the fee proportion, the golden mean ratio proportion, there were extinct flowers coming back to life. They were growing and blooming in the areas surrounding the pyramid where they had been extinct for heaven knows how long. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, oh, thank you, confirmation. This this proves why it's working on Mars to help recover the the environment there. <laughs> Yeah, good, good pick out on that one because, um, yeah, the, the pyramid he's talking about is outside of, um, Moscow. It was one of the first that they put in. And botanists noticed that extinct flowers starting grow, to grow near it. It is unknown why this has happened and has mystifi- mystified botanists. I had heard about that, but I didn't make the connection with the fact that that was a life pyramid. And immediately after that text and picture, the next paragraph explains the atmospheric changes that they detected above the pyramid, even when they were in the middle of building it. It wasn't even halfway complete when they started detecting streams of ions uh, shooting out of the pyramid and actually altering atmospheric conditions. I'm thinking, oh, another confirmation that it's working on Mars. (laughs) Yeah, what that was that, the, okay, the, the pyramid we're talking about is actually 144 feet, which is um, 14 stories, okay? And it was, they, they went with fiberglass because they didn't think that they should use metal. So they were using sections of fiberglass, and they planned to build this. This is the largest one that they built thus far. Um, it's composed of 30 main layers or sections of the fiberglass. And they say here that at the completion of the 11th section, Russian Air Force radar picked up an ion column coming right off the pyramid. The ion column is very large and, in fact, was over one mile high. So then, um, as the pyramid construction continued, the ion column still remained. At the completion of the pyramid, a special weather balloon was launched to measure this ion column. And he's going to talk about the results in the next chapter, but I didn't see nothing about the next chapter. Did I miss something? I don't know. I, don't know. I went to the, to the bottom of that page, unless it, one has to subscribe to the page. I don't know. 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe we missed. Yeah, maybe there's more to it. Um, hmm, interesting. But yeah, that would be uh, that would be why they they keep giving us those. And I, I, did you get any clarity on why the Russians went with that particular? Was it just because he believed the the uh, the, the those measurements, the life measurements, the you know the. I'm sure that's the reason because uh, as they analyzed the energies of the different uh, geometries, because they also say there that they played with other uh, geometric bodies like pentatodecahedrons and other bodies, they stuck with this. And uh, this is really, really smart because it just goes to show how the the thing that we keep saying and saying, well, not only we keep saying it, you know, Everybody out there that's working on this keeps saying it, that life grows along the phi spiral. And wherever you're doing that, 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 wherever you're respecting and applying that phi proportion, it affects living systems. That's why I, I do that in, in some of the devices I've constructed, especially when I have to use tubes or cylindrical sections, I make sure that the diameter divided by the length is going to give me that value of phi. So I know that that device is going to have a, an impact on the life around it. And in their case, uh, think about this could very well be one of the reasons why. Remember, was it you who recently posted on Facebook? Uh, or was it Stephanie, the, the, what they're discovering in the area of Chernobyl, how nature is coming back? There's all this wildlife that's blooming in the area because there's no human presence. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the results of that success, obviously because the earth knows how to heal herself, but she's getting assistance from all of this because these guys, they're not limiting themselves to building one, but they have several all over the place. You see the, the part of the article where they talk about the presence of these pyramids in oil fields, how the consistency and quality of the oil actually improved, and they didn't need as much energy to pump it out, and the whole thing just, whatever could be positive became even more positive by deploying these uh, pyramids. Oh, the, yeah, the things that the pyramids do, I mean, they uh, they preserve food, they sharpen things that need sharpening, uh they apparently can take um like a a pharmaceutical drug like a, an antibiotic and increase its potency by hundreds of times they every time they try it well I don't know every time but we get results of testing on stuff that you go whoa you know um but do me a favor first off l- let's just go into the concept of the and just give give an explanation for what it is and how we see it everywhere and then if you can, I, when I was reading about the pyramids, it did occur to me that <clears throat> they're harnessing the organ. Um, you remember when we were talking with, um, Jay about the, his concept that there was a golden rope around the entire pyramid. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, just, just kind of talk about what you think a pyramid is really doing. I, I, I really like to know your take on it. Well, it, uh, it's not that complicated because if you, if you accept that this reality or whatever we call reality or hologram inevitably, uh, 
follows laws of geometry, of geometry, and that's why they call it sacred geometry. Um, you, if anything that's existing, whether it's solid, liquid, or gaseous, is manifesting due to some property of that's on geometry. And one of the best, uh, and, and Mona has had him has had the fortune of having him as a guest. Have you heard of Dan Winter and his work? With sacred I, geometry. I have, yes, yes, I have. Okay. Well, he, he does a marvelous explanation of how inevitably all of reality just, it has to follow some geometry. Without the geometry in place, you don't have anything. It's like having a movie without a projector to put it on. <laughs> so the pyramid, by virtue of its reality, it's like you're, how can I say this? It's, it's like you're actually harnessing this is just my perception. I'm not saying this is what it is. My perception is that you're literally, because of its of its geometry and proportions, you're literally harnessing that power behind the reality matrix. And it's allowing you to focus it without any active apparatus, without any electronics, without any energy source or any visible energy source. It's just by virtue of being that geometry it lets you grab onto that that energy and uh and make use of it and in that same page of this article it shows an experiment that i i had already read about it uh decades ago the gentleman who did the experiments with pyramids and magnets where he he made a platform and he had a couple of magnets and they're oriented north to south, so you have the magnetic lines flowing between the two magnets, and he placed the pyramid inside, and he found that he didn't need to orient the pyramid to magnetic north, where whatever orientation it had, the pyramid was actually capturing that energy of the magnetic lines, and it was doing the things that a pyramid is expected to do, whether it's uh, dealing with organic or non-organic material. So that's why uh, for people working with pyramids to do, you know, tests and experiments, uh, the recommendation is don't point one of the faces to a geographic north, point the face, get a compass, and point the face to magnetic north. Because then the magnetic lines are flowing through the body of the pyramid, and the, py- the pyramid is grabbing it and actually focusing it inside. That's where the, the name comes from. Pyramid is from the Greek. And it means fire in the middle because it grabs all these lines and it creates a swirling vortex on the inside. So it's like having a flame inside a, a, a you know, like like having a, a candle. And oh, I forget the name now. <laughs> what are, What is the names of those storm lamps? The thing where you put a candle inside? A lantern. It's oh, like having a flame. A hurricane light. Yeah. Yeah. It's like having a, a flame inside of a lantern. It's it's grabbing all those energy lines, and they're just being focused there. And correctly so. The in one of the paragraphs that I read, the author is saying how besides the king's chamber, which is the preferred spot for doing experiments. He found that the energy is present uh, all over the inside volume of the pyramid. Uh, for those that want to know more about that, it's yes, there are energies all over, but 
depending on where you are, what will be the effect of that energy? Because for and the um, in that great book, the law of one, the raw material that that uh, was originally five books, and I think they published the whole thing as one big book. Uh, Don Elkins spent quite a big number of sessions asking Ra, the sixth dimensional entity, about the physics and the effects on the work uh, of pyramids. Uh, Ra is the only source I've ever read where they, it said it didn't matter if you made it with metal or non-metal. It was the it was the geometry that played a role. These uh, Russian pyramids have been made with the old recommendation. I, I do remember reading one of those books where the authors insisted. It, they insisted that it, it not so much that it not be made of metal, but they insisted that it be made of a single material, meaning that either make it of cardboard only or wood only or stone only, but don't make it out of a series of materials. And then there are other authors that actually contest that, but they all agree on one thing, that it's the geometry doing the thing, not so much the material involved in the, in the geometry. So, um, um, what was I saying? <laughs> lost my, you, lost you my start, started talking about the flame and the inside and. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, in the raw material, it's interesting that, uh, he, ex- uh, Ra explains what the different areas are used for. So the chamber at the top of the pyramid and the great pyramid has one purpose for being there and it, and it explains in the book what it does. The king chamber has another purpose and the queen's chamber has another. So one of the interesting parts of it, and it's useful to know for people that have frame pyramids, meaning the, those pyramids that are just the frame, not that it doesn't have any solid faces, it's just the frame. Uh, Ra explained that one quarter of, from the base, on the face of each, uh, on the, is it? one quarter from the base, on the area of the face of each of the four faces of the pyramid, Ra explained that there's a structure, an energy structure, that looks like a, an infinity symbol like a number eight lying on its side. And Ra described the structure as a prana pump, meaning that it pulls it pulls prana, which makes sense because it pulls magnetic lines into the pyramid. And then uh, Don Elkin goes, so what is it good for? And Ra explained, oh, it just it just pulls the uh, distortions that are picked up, accumulated daily by living forms, so therefore it confers immortality. It extends, it, it extends life. Not in, nothing important, said Ra, because, you know, Ra is an energy being. What does it care about mortality? It's already immortal. So Don Elkins found that statement very, very interesting and continue asking more questions. And Ra explained that this energetic form that's on the face of each of the four faces of the pyramid, um, if a person exposes themselves to that area, what it does, it uh, it pulls away from your energy system all the distortions that you pick up during the day, you know, negative thought forms and negative vibrations and all the stuff that's no good for you, effectively clearing you. And that what that was causes an extension of your 
of your life expectancy or extends the life of the physical body. Of course, but in order to take advantage of it, you need a frame pyramid. If you have a solid pyramid, the, you can't because it's actually on the face. So you would have to find a way to hang yourself <laughs> on the face of the pyramid. So you're saying it's you're saying it's better that we have a uh, frame pyramid. If yeah, that's what I, your intent is. There are authors out there. You will you will come across authors out there that claim unequivocally that only the solid face pyramids actually do the work. I have evidence to the contrary because for years I owned uh, a wood frame pyramid that I made, and that's the one that I was using to make the monatomic gold. Remember when we were talking with JP? And I told him about the gold, the gold dissolving in the pyramid. That's what I used. I didn't use a solid face pyramid. I used uh, a wood pyramid, uh, just frame pyramid. Okay, I now used, that you've just, mentioned it, you'd better explain what you did so people will, will understand that again. Oh, it's, uh, pyramidic, uh, it's a pyramidic power. The, uh, I'm sorry, what? I say it's a pyramidic power. So just explain getting that. Uh, what would you call it? Oh, the, the monotonic gold monotonic. is one of the ways to to get. Uh, not not my invention. I just grabbed it. This is information that I found on the Ormus discussion boards. Uh, for those out there, there is a lot of there are a lot of groups and uh, experimenters and vendors that are making what they call Ormus, which is uh, based on the work of Hudson, another. Gentleman known to Dan Winter, um, Hudson is this gentleman who found a way to um, reduce a mineral down to the monotonic monatomic level. Because when when you look for those, I mean, you you can see that in high school chemistry. Whenever you see any substance, especially gases, they the atoms are not by themselves. They bind. If especially gases, they bind in pairs. Very difficult. The only way you, you get like a single atom is when you have some kind of chemical reaction and you'll have ions being expelled and you'll have a single atom. So getting a substance that's a single atom in its natural state is very difficult. So this is the work of this gentleman, Hudson, who was able to uh, elaborate um, monatomic gold. The process that he used, it's tiresome, it's lengthy, very caustic because you have to deal with lye and you can't do it in your kitchen. You would stink up the entire house. You have to actually have a nice workshop where you can do this. And if you don't take measures, you can burn yourself from the extremely alkaline substances you have to use. So I read this. It was very interesting, but I said, I'm not going near this. I don't care how <laughs> amazing it is. And then I came across information from this gentleman who was doing it with a pyramid. And you know how powerful gold is. It tolerates like the most powerful acids known in chemistry. Yet, in the presence of the pyramid energy at the center of the pyramid, it begins to break down. So when this gentleman did his first test, he found that the little sample of gold he had put in a little tray went from being a little bit of gold into a, a, like a whitish, like a whitish powder. And he took it outside and he was taking pictures of it in, under the sun. And all of a sudden there was a flash of light and the little tray was empty. It's like it actually, uh, by, 
getting that burst of energy from the sun, the material went from physical to pure energy. It just flashed out of this uh, continuum or out of whatever the 3D plane you want to call it. So he found out that he couldn't, if he made it some, he could not expose it to natural light, sunlight. Uh, so then his next idea was to capture it in some kind of fluid, and he used uh, uh, brandy. So he put the gold in it, and as the gold would break up by sitting inside the pyramid, it would start getting captured by the uh, by the fluid. Because the first, when it, when it begins to break down, the gold begins to be reduced into something that's like an oily substance. And then if you continue leaving it in, in the pyramid, that's when it, it turns into this white powdery substance. So he captured it and then he would use it. He would consume like a drop at a time. And uh, the claim on these monatomic substances is that they they do all these amazing things like uh, repair DNA damage and make changes to because it affects your whole vibratory level in in your body. It changes your vibrations. It uh, it brings back many of the stuff that's lost due to the aging process. There's a whole list of things that it does. Um, so my experiment, I, uh, as I told JP when we were on the show, I did a little bit of dowsing uh, because they say um, in all the books and all the writings say always put your item, your sample, your witness, whatever it is that you're working on, one-third from the base. And then I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, I have a six-foot pyramid. There's no way, okay, there's this flame of energy inside the pyramid at that location, but it has to have dimension. It has to have some kind of height. It can't be the size of an atom. So I started dowsing the question, and yes, definitely that this energy vortex inside the pyramid at that location does have a size. So at one-third the height of the pyramid, what you're finding is the base of that flame. So if you go up a little bit and you have to douse it with a pendulum, so the pendulum will tell you the correct spot, you get to find the tip of the flame, which is the hottest part of any flame. So when I adjusted the little bench where I had the uh, the bottle with the vodka and the gold, uh, I found out that it started uh, the gold started dissolving faster. I would check it once every other day, and the particles just got smaller and smaller until it looked like little grains of sand. And the vodka turns amber yellow, and it becomes sweet. Where you know vodka has no sweetness, has no taste. But if you're going to take it, it's like one drop per week or something because the amount of energy is just huge. Hey, Walt, can we try, can you duplicate doing that, only put shungite in in with the vodka and the gold? Oh, you, you think the... Uh, do you I think don't know. Oh. <laughs> Shanghai powder. Well, yeah, what, what we're thinking, what we're thinking is that the Shanghai might absorb it and therefore hold the the, the energy. And that's would what you, I'm thinking. Is that would what you you're be doing it with a, a nugget or a powder? Um. Well, I'd probably 
well, of course we want to go to powder. I mean, always we want to go to powder because of the, just because we're that closer to the quantum. Um, but it would be interesting to see what happened with the nugget too, because at least with the nugget, when we did the, the shungite, you can perceive with your eye a change in it. Mm. You know, just to confirm. Yeah, oh, look at this. Because you remember, it, it, you, you could see a texture change or something was changed, but you couldn't rub it off. Mm. You know, um, but no, I would think the powder and, and plain powder, not, it would have to oh, be. Oh, yeah, obviously. Plain, yeah, it'd have to be the plain powder because if you're using the <laughs> S4, it would, the door to the quantum would be completely opened all the time. And I think you want it the other way. You know, at least you want it opening up and shutting, you know, because I think that the gold is going to do something else. I'm not sure it's, but anyway, do you think you can do that? Well, based on the information, um, I don't know if you saw that uh, JP posted like a 30-minute video of Dan Winter uh, doing his sacred geometry thing and conjugate phase, phase conjugation explanation. Uh, there's actually an affinity between gold and this whole sacred geometry fullerene stuff, the, the way that he explained it. That's why it was uh, – he spoke a lot. He <clears> – <throat> The man has so much information in his head. It's it's you, if you're not focused on him 100, percent it's like being kicked out of a moving car. <laughs> because as he's talking, he'll be saying this thing about sacred geometry. Then he jumps to the past to say something about the ancient Jews or the ancient Egyptians. Then he comes back to the present about something that they had done. So you have to be like super careful to follow him and tie all the dots together. Uh, but he did talk about the significance of the gold uh, with all this sacred geometry thing because uh, they started talking about the geometry in the diamond molecule. In the diamond molecule, he says, you have the carbon, you have six atoms of carbon arranged like an octahedron. And you know what an octahedron is. It's like having two pyramids base to base. So you have eight faces on each face is an equilateral triangle. You with me still? Yeah, 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 I'm with okay. you. So then Winter says, you know, this is the this is the fundamental molecule of the the carbon as it sits in a diamond. It has this octahedral structure. But when it's forming, if you hit it with a spark of electricity, one of those bonds, remember I told you carbon has four balance, it has four bonds. One of those bonds breaks off, which now these these atoms are moving away from each other because one of those bonds has been released. So they're shifting into another geometry because what this shift is doing is they're literally capturing that spark. Now that energy is not going anywhere. It's like a, now you remember the the ghost traps that the ghost bastards used to use. <laughs> <laughs> Where you have no, but by by energy spark, you mean when the when the balance breaks, when the when the connector breaks, there's a burst of energy. Is that what no, you're talking? No, he says about? if you if you hit the molecule with a when oh, when okay, the so we're talking about the electric charge. Okay, it's an electric charge. So by shifting up, the releasing one of those balances, because remember when you look at a fullerene, the carbon atom has four balance, has four bonds. But when you look at a fullerene. And you look at the atom at each node, there's only three, three bonds. And you ask yourself, okay, where's the fourth? 
that's what makes the Shanghai so powerful and so active. Because Dan is saying that the new geom by jumping up into this new geometry, he used um, he had a dynamic model, 3D model with a rubber connecting the pieces, so he would actually squeeze it and go from one geometry to the next. So remember that um, geometry that Nassim Haramein is always talking about, the cuboctahedron. Yes. Okay. Yes. You remember what it looks like. Okay, so he had this sitting on his lap, and all the the little lines are connected with rubber. So when he goes ahead and he squeezes it down, and when he squeezes it down, the next geometry that it turns into is the pentadodecahedron. It it changes the geometry. So what he explains is that that movement from one stage down or one stage up, that movement is a value of phi. It's the value of of one, the golden mean ratio. And in, and when the, the geometry does that, and it goes from one shape to another shape, what changes is also what, how the energy behaves. So he says a cuboctahedron, for example, is a perfect conductor. Then he squeezes it down, so it changes shape into a penta dodecahedron. He says, now by becoming this shape is a perfect insulator. So this is how the energy changes. So when the when the carbon is doing that, when it's releasing one of its bonds in order to bond to use only three as opposed to four, now it's becoming an energy container. And he says the beauty of it is that that charge, that electric charge inside the geometry, is perfectly balanced. Perfectly balanced. It's just he says it's just in in a perfect state. So that's why you have to really <laughs> hold on to the, your hat and just run after him follow his what he's saying is because he's saying that's as he's saying those words he says that's why if you pump the vacuum you get energy out no I don't know how you do that but <laughs> he must be talking about the quantum field what we well, refer yeah, to I'm, I'm assuming that by vacuum at that point he means inside the, 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 the uh, molecule itself yeah the, or he's referring to the quantum field so then, at be, toward, would, yeah. Well, toward the end of that video is where he makes a segue, how uh, all of this ties on to the the powers and capabilities of gold, because it seems that gold is able to do things that other things that cannot do. Remember what um, um, JP said about mercury? It's like death itself. That you know, nerve cells literally move away from mercury. Because his energy signature is like it's like death itself. Well, gold would yeah, be, let, let, yeah, that just go into that a little bit more because it was really that. How did they see it? Somehow the the medicine people, medicine people. Oh medicine yeah, JP people. said that they did an experiment where they had you know a culture of living cells, which you can have, and you could have a, a a petri dish with a culture of living cells, and when they approached. The culture with particles of mercury, the cells like begin to retract, like the eyes on a snail. You know the those antennas that snails have. If you try to touch them, they retract into their body. Uh, I didn't know that. I've never tried that, so no, I didn't know that. But that's a nice thing. You see, you teach me something every day. (laughs) Don't try to touch the eyes of a snail. Well, if you uh, you've seen pictures of nerve cells that they have these tendrils that are called dendrites. 
and the tendrils reach out, and that's how the different cells meet with each other, and that's where the pulses go back and forth through the different cells. That's what JP said, that they documented that the these dendrites actually begin to recoil away from the proximity to mercury. That's how harmful it is. And I can't believe that in New York, people that are into black magic and all that crap, they 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 do sell for people to consume capsules of mercury. If you can believe me, I've seen it, so that's why I know it, it exists. It's actually, uh, you know, one of these voodoo con- concoctions. Well, I, I hope they drink more then. <laughs> Take a bottle. <laughs> But uh that's that's the, the beauty of Mercury. Well, like gold is like the opposite. Gold is like life giving. It did uh in fact when I um when I was studying this issue of the monatomic gold, uh I forget I think it was in uh in one of in one of the chapters of uh of Yogananda's autobiography I think I saw it there uh where there's a dialogue between him and this man who's a physician in in India and this old Indian physician had this recipe handed down to him through his father and then his grandfather and so on and so forth where he had some kind of special kiln where he had to uh, bake gold. I don't know. I don't remember if it was a gold compound or just pure gold, and he it had to bake for days on on end. And then at the end of the process, he had to imbue it with his own kundalini energy, and he made these little uh, granules with it. And the thing was that one of his number one patients was one uh, an uh somebody from Indian nobility, some Raja from somewhere. Because this Raja, I, I forget how old he was, but he had, you know, have multiple wives. And he would take these pills because it would give him back his virility, you know, his libido and his endurance. Because these gold pills were literally, you know, rejuvenating his body. They had Viagra back then? <laughs> I don't, you know, I think we're running out of inventions, man. Everything that we can conceive, it's already been made. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but they were doing it naturally then. Now we have to use chemistry. So yeah. please go on. Sorry. I nice life-enhancing chemistry. <laughs> so that's that's how I know. So my think, having having read so much material from these Ormus people, I realized now that that old... Uh, Indian physician must have been doing the, this monatomic go thing. It's just that he was doing it through another, you know, alchemical process where they actually have to bake the gold in order to reduce it somehow. In the case, well, how different is the pyramid? He, instead of cooking it in some kiln using conventional fuels, you're doing the same thing, but with a uh, etheric fire, the energy of a pyramid itself. Not not that far apart. So, um, what do you suppose would happen if 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 the Shungite took the monolithic gold in? Well, I think it would it would jump up several octaves in in energy signature, wouldn't it? 
Oh, I would assume. I'm just thinking of the doorway to the quantum, because we know the silver opens it up from the quantum into this field. And, um, well, let's just try it. Can we try it? I'll buy the gold. <laughs> well, I need to, I need to find a spot where to, I have to make a new pyramid because it's, uh, I had it for a while outside and the elements took care of it, you know, broke down all the wood. Which, so which, which can... pyramid did you use? Which, uh, uh, six, six foot frame pyramid I just got, um, from, from uh, Giza? Giza? Uh, uh, yeah, those are the, that's the proportions that I use. I didn't use, at the time I, it didn't come across, I was trying to be, um, uh, loyal to the traditional, you know, Giza pyramid measures. I didn't, I, I guess I should try doing a, a life pyramid. Maybe that's even stronger. Yeah. But, uh, um, when we when when we were back in the 90s and we hit we were working in the the area that we call the Merkaba, we actually had the uh, Giza dimension pyramid six feet above us, mm. and we were working and playing in the etheric double of it. And I don't know where I got this. I think it was just because I played with pyramids for so long that I realized that. If I had a, a, a structure of a, of a and, it, and to me, you don't, it's the frame. Um, and to be honest with you, I think you can, if you do it in your head, you can make them. You know, just draw it out and say, there, I'm putting a geometric, etheric pyramid right there and, and, and it'll happen. Because I've seen some really crooked, crooked pyramids um, kind of write themselves. Mm-hmm. That, there, that there's something that happens, you know, I don't know whether it's the spirit guides fix these things or uh what, but um they're very forgiving. Uh But when we did this, it was just like, I just realized that every time I, we had one of the, any pyramid I worked with, I could detect that there was a, another field, like a reflective field below it. And... um I wasn't thinking of that when I, I wasn't thinking of anything. I was just taking directions. What do you want us to do? And, um, then I, and it, and it actually, I didn't realize it initially. It was much later. I said, Oh my God, we were working in the etheric side of it, the energy side of it. Yeah. It's my, it's my understanding that whenever you build a pyramid automatically, you have like a mirror image below it. So essentially you're building an octahedron, whether you like it or not. Exactly. It's, it's part of the, yes. And so, you can't, you can't really think of, you see, I don't think that people will, I don't think scientists, let me put you that way, scientists will ever get to the full understanding of what is happening inside a pyramid until they understand that it is only, you're, you're only seeing one half of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be able to deal with the measurements <clears throat> in the other, in the other part of it. And whether or not we may not, because again, I think it's, it's, it's the concept of prana, organ, organ, or, you know, what other forces we may not even have a name for, the etheric source of all. I don't know what it is. But these things are designed, and it's like I've said, you know, that it's an energy universe and energy follows geometry. And. Yeah. And it's all, it's also a door. I mean, when, uh, yeah. uh, when Drumbala Melchizedek does those healing sessions where he calls upon Archangel Michael, and like when he, uh, when he had that lady that was part of the group, she had an entity in her, and he that's what he did is he like you said he commanded a, a mental 
image of an octahedron around them. So he just told the entity, you know, go up the top of this octahedron and it'll take you to your right and proper place where you, where you actually want to be. So, uh, that's another function of pyramids. They're actually doorways, or gateways. To the etheric. Exactly. And, and, in, in your, um, it, when you do a shamanic journey, you're going through a set, um, uh, set, setup, let's say. You go through a ceremony that sets a frequency up that is a frequency that's been set up by shamans way, 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 way back behind you. You know, it's like, here, this is the frequency uh, to open a shamanic journey. And once you learn it, then you use it, and you may not even realize that it is the energy of the ceremony that sets the, the, the doorway opening. And then, of course, it's your mind. When I do remote viewing, it's very much the same thing, <clears throat> except that in there is no ceremony involved in it. It's just like I've learned what the frequency is to be able to do this. And so you, I just shift into it. But we end up going to the same place, the etheric. Yeah. And I think that that's why, uh, I think that, that that's what happens to people that take psychedelics. Is that the chemistry that happens in their brain opens up the frequency to open up the etheric world. Because yeah, I've done, I've, I've <laughs> done, I've done all of them, you know? And, and it's always the same world to me. Yeah, you, you saw my comment on on your post on Facebook. Well, that's one of the reasons why they had to ban them and make them illegal because it would countermand the uh, fluoride agenda. It would open the doors that they want to keep closed. You know, they're giving you fluoride in your water to keep the pineal gland asleep and closed. So here you're taking psychedelics and you're, you know, undoing their fine work. <laughs> And, and it's, we're not suggesting that everybody go out and do psychedelics. <laughs> I mean, in no way. Remember, everything that we're saying is entertainment only, right? Because we're, we're we're we are, in fact, reality sci-fi. So, well, it's, um, it's, it's since you've done it, then you can confirm something that I have um, read from different authors, and I want to see if you concur or not. But the explanation that I had read is that depending on where you are in your level of vibration, in your level of consciousness, if you administer to yourself a psychedelic, that, depending on where you are and how you are, is what you will witness and what you will experience. So if you're in a very low level of vibration and you're a very negative person, you know, always pessimistic and cynical and whatnot, whatever you witness is not going to be very nice. It's not going to be roses and flowers. It's going to be very dark and very disturbing. Whereas if you're in a high state of vibration, you tend to have a positive outlook on things. You don't, uh, you don't dwell on negativity and hatred and resentment and stuff like that. You have nice positive experience because that's where you are in your vibration level. Is this, would you concur that this is true or is it just some idea that somebody had? No, uh, it, there is a tremendous amount of truth in that. Um, if I, I was, I was very fortunate to never be, well not never, but seldom be around somebody whose brain was really screwed up to begin with. Okay. That they had a lot of darkness in it mm -hmm. because, um, I did have an occasion that that happened and I, it, well, all right, let me step back. 
even if you are a negative person, okay, if you're a negative person in the way you think, but in your heart you're still giving, you're still loving, what the drug does is takes you to the etheric where there are no fears. You know that. You're mm-hmm. fearless in the etheric. If somebody gets afraid in the etheric, they'll they'll never be able to get through again. You know, all the protection that they've ever had will come up and keep them from ever going there again. So when you when you when you cross over, there is no fear. You don't because your your 3D body is not in any danger. Mm-hmm. You know, you're out of your body, you're in an etheric body, and you're traveling. And the etheric cannot be hurt when you're in the etheric world. You can hurt it. And in other ways, but in there, no, you're absolutely safe. So there's not this sense of fear. So even somebody that's negative, they go into that etheric realm where there's no fear. They go positive and they will have a fine trip. But there are some that they're so dark that they end up creating, because you know how your mind will create in the etheric. Oh, yeah. And that's what happens is that th- their minds are so dark. Maybe it's entities. I don't know. But um, I've, I, knew, I met one kid who, who really never got back from an LSD trip. Um, it, it was really weird. But he was the only one that, that ever that I could say was having troubles that was long-lasting, but I suspect there's a lot of other reasons for that. Um, I mean, I'm a girl of the 60s. And now, I, is, that, is that true that when they... I saw this was the subject of a film. Is that true that when the armed forces, you know, the, the intelligence part of the armed forces, when they did experiments with LSD, they had the issue of some of the subjects committing suicide? Is that true or there was a, a dramatization? No, 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 they, that was. First off, they were using an extreme amount of LSD. You don't need very much. Uh-huh. So it was, uh, and what happens when you take LSD is that the LSD and serotonin are chemically very similar. So your RAF cells, which produces serotonin, have got feelers out there and they feel the LSD and they go, oh my god, we got a lot of serotonin in the, in the brain and they stop producing serotonin. Now when you don't have enough serotonin in an awake brain, what happens is that it, it, they say they say that serotonin acts like a controller on spontaneous thought. So when you don't have it there, all of a sudden your brain starts to go into hyperdrive, and every blue that you see a blue, and every blue that you ever saw, you see it there. That's why people start to hallucinate. They're they're bringing up in their minds the, all these colors that are associated with blue because there's not enough serotonin controlling the spontaneous eruption of thought. Is what they said. It's a scientific document about LSD and the chemistry of the brain. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, you cannot get into REM sleep without your body, your mind, getting rid of the serotonin. So a person who's in REM sleep does not have serotonin in their brain, or very little of it. If you got too much serotonin, you'll never get into REM sleep. Um... The, the the signal, if you take a brain scan of somebody on LSD and somebody in REM sleep, they're identical. And that's because they both don't have any serotonin in, in the brain. And if you don't have that, then your your system is working in a different frequency. You're working in the alpha slash theta frequency. But what about gets, those people that are taking serotonin uh, 
pills to help them sleep. I don't get that. No melatonin, probably. Oh, um, I'm getting them confused. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, no melatonin builds up. Without enough melatonin, you won't get into REM sleep. Oh, okay. That's why people, as they get older, they they everything starts to get less produced, and one of them is melatonin. And they, uh, if if you take if you take melatonin, it just sets the chemistry up in your brain to go to sleep. That's all it is. It's it's really a very safe way of of just sort of inducing sleep. But it takes about 20 minutes for it to take take effect. So, um, yeah, it's one of the few things that I w- I recommend to people, you know, because I've I've taken it for a very long time, and I I don't have any trouble sleeping. You know, it's, so it doesn't seem to have some kind of detrimental thing as you get older that you got used to taking it. But again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying what I did. <laughs> <laughs> not not prescribing anything here. And listen, I I don't. The only thing that we ever talk about as far as health is all within the concept of energy. And if we are breaking some medical law, then that would assume that they believe that energy is where you heal. And, of course, they don't believe that, so I'm a quack. And just keep that in mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is about break time. Dang, Colleen, I thought something had happened to you. There? Yeah, I'm here. All of a sudden, there was a squawking and bird feathers. I thought, what's done? I was expecting you to come in. Well, it's so cold in Indiana, she brought the chickens into her room to keep them warm. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> or to keep her warm. Wrap me in them wings. A feather bed takes on a new meaning here. <laughs> Even Carrie came in a while ago. Mom, are you cold? I'm like, I'm freezing. She said, so am I. So that's a good sign, because she'll be turning on the furnace. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And this is Cosmic Reality Radio Show. I'm here with Walt Silva and Colleen Kelly. And welcome back. The last hour we spent on pyramids and gold. And um, did, was there anything else you wanted to say about that, Walt? Uh, no. No? Just uh, we left it that uh, as, as soon as I can get a pyramid up, I guess we'll do that uh, experiment with the Shanghai on the gold, See what see what they turn into. Yeah, I I really would like to see that myself. Um, okay, the other another thing that came up uh, was about the Schumann resonance. Did you get to look at that in time? Um, yeah, I saw that, but um, I don't know. It's difficult for me to. I understand that it would speed up as if you're moving up in the dimensions, but. Um, I had read the uh, information written by a professional uh, musician on the this whole Schumann thing, and his explanation is very logical. And maybe there is no conflict. Maybe the two explanations can be reconciled because <clears throat> when he does the uh, technical explanation of the Schumann resonance, which is the the signal that bounces off the ionosphere, think of the entire ball of the planet like a like a bell so if you have a very a small bell and you have a signal and and you hit it on the inside you have a a sharp high pitched tone if you have a very large bell and you strike it 
you have a softer, lower pitch tone because that, that signal is proportional to the size of the bell. So the planet being like a, like a sphere and you have the ionosphere around it, the signal that uh, the planet puts out bounces off the ionosphere back onto the earth and that's how you get this frequency. Now, the planet is growing, size-wise, it is growing. So the author explains how, as it grows, the Schumann resonance has to go down because you have bigger dimensions. Your your signal has to travel farther. So from that exclusive physics sense, yes, it makes perfect sense that it would slow down. But those that are measuring the the Schumann resonance speeding up, speeding up, speeding up, it makes perfect sense as well in the sense that the Earth is not only changing in size, it's also changing in dimension. It's no longer sitting on pure 3D. In fact, uh, for those that have read some of the channel material, they, they, all the channel material, they agree, you know, the Earth left the 3D some time ago. What happens is that the consensus reality, the majority of humanity, because they are believing and they are accepting the created reality, they are the ones that are perpetuating the 3D with all its programs and conditionings and limitations and everything, because everyone believes that it should be there. But if you let go of that belief, and you... i got to pause myself here. Remember what you said about psychic abilities like telepathy? that it's not so much that you have to do exercises to have it, it's that you just have to believe that you can do it, and then you'll do it? Yes. That's exactly the same thing with this fake 3D reality. If you let go of the belief that it's real, and that it's stuck, and that it's permanent, you'll start to see that it's really not real. It starts to melt a lot. It starts to melt around the edges. I mean, the reason we're still living in this 3D reality of financial slavery and debt and limitations and all of that stuff is because the majority of the people, you know, majority rules, majority of people are still in belief mode that this is the way life should be. This is this is what it is, that this is the way it's always been this way, so why should it change? But that's even that is changing because more and more people are waking up that it shouldn't be that way. I mean I, I'm seeing more and more posts about people waking up to things that shouldn't be the way they are. So that's a good sign. People are starting to willingly let go of the old 3D reality. So don't be surprised if you get up one day and you see a flying car outside the window. Would, would you say that uh, reality is what you think it is? Cosmic rule number one? <laughs> cosmic rule number two majority rules cosmic rule number three those in power will keep everybody else from knowing rules one and two and that's what we're confronting is the fact that you know it was funny because when I, early in the game like after I had written um, 9-11 crusade I'd go on to some of these posts and it was just appropriate to put those three ro- three rules in and nobody ever commented. <clears throat> nobody ever hit like. It was almost like, oh, I'm not sure. if I, Maybe they didn't read it. But, you know, most people were reading me. And I only go to groups that read me, for crying out loud. So <laughs> it's it's just one of those things that now we can understand it because we see more and more of it. We, we actually see a change. 
when, when I first started talking about it, people are going like, yeah, okay, you know. But now we're seeing changes. We're seeing how just by people's change of mentality, the way that they view life, that they look at it at things they didn't look at before because they didn't want to or they were too afraid to. Um, yeah, it's easier to understand the concept that reality is what you think it is, is what we make it. Yep. So, and you see the, um, uh, rare is the day that I go onto Facebook and someone from somewhere in the world has posted, you know, like uh, the, the, <laughs> Monsanto is beginning to look like those, uh, those, those carnival games where you see these, the little ducks going across and people aiming at them with little air rifles. It's amazing, you know, you go into, into Facebook and you'll see this country or that country or here or there, you know, the, the shots that are being taken at Monsanto and it has no defense. I mean, here they thought they were so smart. They bought Congress. They bought the, the senators. They bought the representatives. They got laws passed that they cannot be sued. They got laws passed that they don't need to reveal what products are GMO, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because not the people are, you know, they're saying, okay, fine, fine, you bought the government, good luck with that, but we're saying you're no good and you're no good. Somebody posted the, um, that thing in California where California has officially announced that glyphosate is a carcinogenic substance where before you couldn't say that. So there you have it. So much for buying the government. The states are doing what the government isn't doing. It's a, the government is a private corporation anyway, so one well, corporation. Little, little, <clears throat> little Haiti after the earthquake. Monsanto <laughs> went in there and said, hey, we'll give you all the seed and you can start growing this stuff. And they said, no, get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know, but then on the other side of the world in India, the farmers were basically made to get involved with the GMO. And pretty soon there was disaster. The GMOs were failing in India, but there were no other seeds. And they had hundreds, if not thousands, of suicides of small farmers. Yeah, um, and the thing is that I I could have told them that, you know, India has a totally different energy field. I mean, there there's some there, – I saw it in a shamanic journey, and it's uh, – my power animal told me don't touch it. It's, it's got a kind of a miasma that natives are immune to it because it's been there for thousands of years. It kind of reminds me of the black goo because that's what my friend had when he came back. He was there three months and he had taken all his, you know, countermeasures and yet he kept losing and losing and losing weight and the doctor thought that it was some kind of parasite. But no, it was an energy thing and it had, he brought back with himself the, this miasma that's there that natives are immune to it because they're born to it. But, you know, foreigners have no defense to it. And I am not surprised that the genetically modified organisms being as they are, not natural and not having the natural, how can I say this? The natural synchronicity with the planet that they're supposed to have, they would have no defense against this thing. And it just, it, they just failed. It would have been consumed. Uh, this, this is an interesting thing, okay? Let me just think here for a sec. The sound uh, is okay. different. Okay, okay. Let, let, let's think about this. Now, we got, 
all of this GMO stuff out there that is not natural to the planet. It's been man-made. It doesn't belong here. And in previous, let's say, missions, we have all, we have gone with the concept that if it's not natural to Gaia, then we have a right, if not an obligation, to get rid of it. True? Indeed. So, why don't we just um, basically get rid of all this stuff? We'll just etherically go into the etheric, talk to the stuff and say, hey, you want to get out? <laughs> and just get rid of it. We don't have to have it here. We're just, we're, we're working on the third dimensional concept that, oh, well, they made it. Well, we got to deal with it. Well, no, maybe we don't because we're in a new reality. We're in a reality that says etherically, if it doesn't belong here, if it's not a guy's imprint, then well, it should be here. That that makes me ask the following question. I know that for every <clears throat> life form that exists, especially if it's natural life form, there's a, a devic intelligence. There's devic entities that exist for the sustainment and the health of such organisms. That's why trees have their own little devas and certain vegetables have little gnomes and so on and so forth. So if you can ask Gaia directly, does, does a GMO or does a, a GMO plant have a devic entity protecting it and guiding its growth, or is it like a zombie plant? Uh, what I'm getting is, I asked the question as you were asking me. Um, what I'm getting is that there is almost the same sort of situation we encountered with the archons, that th there's an etheric entity, okay. Not jinn, but something that is specifically attached to these things, these GMOs. Real negative. It's, but it's an energy form. Because it's probably the thought form attributable to the people that actually created this. Mm. So there is, there is an energy form beyond the, the seed itself. The seed does not feel like it has an energy form at all. But it's almost like there's been an artificial, in quotes, life force entity connected mm -hmm. to it. <clears throat> it's, it's artificial in and of itself. But I think it, I think it's thought form manifested. The archons were that was a that was a technique. <laughs> I mean, they just opened a portal to the etheric. They knew what they were doing there. But this is more like the people that, because remember, you can't have manifestation without consciousness. Mm -hmm. So the people that developed this stuff, I'm sure there were some of them who understood that um, or thought that it was just for the benefit of mankind, but I don't think it took very long. I mean, if we know how dangerous this is, then those people knew how dangerous it, dangerous it was. And I suspect that that is the group of humanity that is, I want to say without soul, you know, whether they're they're zombies or whether they're some kind of automation but they don't have this this human soul thing that says in a human being you know i want to trust you <clears throat> i want to help you the kind of thing in a human being that says there is no hope there's no way we can get out of this but we're going to get out of this there's something about a human being that that so many of these people don't have that they could possibly even 
I can understand conceiving of something that might be along these lines for the thinking that it could be beneficial, but I'm sorry, you, you know now how devastating these are. If countries, one country after another is saying no more GMO, no more GMO, then you gotta figure there's a, a tremendous amount of information that we probably aren't even seeing. Unless, Correct. I mean, you know, the GMO, the people that are really into it, they may know. Um, I just know that we got to get rid of it. Well, look, <clears throat> I mean, the human effort to try to improve on nature, it's, you have to laugh at it. I mean, if you don't laugh, you're going to cry a lot, but look at it from this other angle. Here, uh, Simon Parks is telling us that reptilians are, at a galactic level, they're considered DNA masters. They have been doing genetic manipulation for millennia. Man has been involved in genetic manipulation for what? Decades? And, and the reptilian guys are at a standstill. I mean, they reached a dead end in their evolution because they can do so much and now they're, they don't know which way to go. And they're masters at this. You are going to do better? <laughs> you've been, you're like little kids in a sandbox. You know, you're, you're playing with this and it's like, you know, giving a loaded gun to a, a four year old. I mean, you can only ask for disaster. I mean, the, the, the hubris and the arrogance to think, you know, you could improve in nature when nature is everything is interconnected. You, you change this little piece here and it's going to have a, a cascading domino effect down the road. Something else is going to get affected. Well, the, I think one of the problems with the GMO is that although they may produce seeds, the seeds are sterile. So you can't save your seeds and have, you know, all your seeds ready for next year's crop. You have to keep buying them. And from what I read in um, not Enelia's interview with the alien <coughs> was that um Matilda was said that you know the earth was seeded and there was a lot of genetic manipulation that went on early on and then they decided to make humans and plants and all of that able to propagate so that people who were ever buying these genetic modified things didn't have to keep like we have to do now, something uh, stops working, so you have to buy something to replace it Th because they made people so that they could have uh, sexual reproduction and plants as well and animals and stuff, that um, it kind of put out the um, intergalactic corporations that were doing all this genetic stuff, put them out of business in making them so that they could reproduce. So I'm wondering how much of that um, is kind of, what, throwback technology? Yeah, and the thing, it would be nice to think, okay, you have a GMO plant, it reaches the end of its cycle, it dies off, and that's the end of the headache. It's not the end of the headache because uh, just, I think it was a day ago, somebody posted it on on Facebook, an article where they have been doing uh, surveys in different countries, and here Monsanto and the other companies were guaranteeing people that if you have a GMO crop here, 
and then you have regular crops some miles away, nothing's going to happen. You're not going to have any any overlap. You're not going to have any consequence. It turns out that it's not true. You know, because of insect activity, genetic material is moving between the plants, and the natural plants now are being affected. Someone didn't take that into account. Well, exactly, and not only the plants, but also the soil. Indeed, yeah. And, you know, as Nancy said, you know, the farmers in India were committing suicide, um, you know, because of the damage that was done from planting that stuff. Yeah. But what you're saying, really, in in the interview with the alien with Matilda, um, which was supposedly an alien that was uh, survived the Roswell crash, and... It is in our archives, and we should mention that you can go to the archives if you're a member at five dollars per. But that's. Month. Uh, are you what? talking about the? I'm sorry to interrupt. Are you talking about an alias book interview? No, with, no, yeah. no, no, no. There's two. There's two interviews with an with an alien. One is oh. written by Anelia Benz. The other one is written by what's his name McDonald, I think. Oh, and, okay. And that's the one we're talking about. But that is in the archives. Um, so for five dollars, you can become a member, and you can access any of these things that we've been talking about. You know, even our our previous shows, or you can go to cosmicreality.net and go over to the um, uh, Cosmic Reality tab, and you'll see the radio shows under that. And there's there all of our shows are there. So, what, but what you're saying here is that in the Roswell alien. Um, they were saying that this is something that was done on a galactic kind of concept and that Earth was seeded. That takes out the image of Gaia. That says that Gaia didn't make us. We were brought here from someplace else and seeded. And I just don't go along with that. I just don't resonate with that information. I believe that the reason that these people think that they can mess with Mother Earth is because they don't, they, they've disregarded her. They don't think she exists as a conscious entity. And I think the only thing that we have going for us is that we believe she does exist as a conscious entity. At well, least, you know, in, I, in my point of view. Well, it could be, too, you know, that seeds were brought or whatever, and then Gaia took over and said, oh, look, you know, I've got something new here to work with. Well, well if, uh, that, if that occurred, it's only because she asked him here. Well, that but could be. I mean, I mean, I think that, that the beginning of life came with Shungite when it hit the planet. <laughs> I just feel that very strongly that because one of the Russian um, documents that you know you get translated and but it was talking about how um, in the area of Shungite where it is that that's where the first the the, the most ancient type of um, uh, vegetation is being seen. And that there are scientists who say that the cradle of life was actually right there in that area where Shungite is. So I just, I just think that, you know, Shungite is the, is the source of, of energy and an openness. It's, it's the molecules. It's like here, <laughs> here is a little, it's almost like the, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? It was Shungite. You got this molecule that is attached to the quantum field in ways that no other molecule is. And, the you know, there's millions of scientists trying to figure this one out. 
and it's attached to the quantum field. So the unbelievable source of manifestation out of the quantum field is right there. And I just believe that at this point in the game that it is a gift from Gaia. But Gaia called it in from probably the black hole that's the middle of the galaxy. That it's where it's like a, an egg full of everything you need to create life. You just have to look at it and say, hey, you know, I mean, not not us yet. We will get there. But Gaia as a creator God. Okay, I got the substance that I need to uh, make the brownies, you know. Um, but that's how I see it. So I just feel that that we can't underestimate the power of the creator God in this in this biosphere. And I think that that's how they get away with making GMO products is they bet she doesn't exist. I bet she does. And I think that we can uh, just get rid of them all. So that's my feeling. Well, do you, do you ever get a chance to see the the YouTube videos from Lloyd Pye? From what? Lloyd Pye, his uh, lectures. I'm familiar with him. I <clears throat> read some of his books, but a long time ago. Uh, the uh, Because... Uh, I saw one of his lectures, and he argues that the true original human looked more like Bigfoot, not like what we look like now. The, the this naked human that has no hair covering, he says that's it's completely uh, a GMO. It's a, it's a, a genetic manipulation. He says because there's nothing natural about the human. The way we walk is wrong. He says look look at the uh, he showed like. Uh, Casts made of footprints whenever there have been uh, Bigfoot sightings, and he says, "Look at this! Look at the way the weight is distributed on this on this foot. It's completely natural and correct. Look at a human foot; how it the the weight is completely wrong." He says, "That's why when we walk, we are actually destroying our knees and our hips because we are not touching the floor correctly." So he goes on and on and on, showing evidence after evidence after evidence and he he claims the the true natural hominid whatever the precursion of, of the of the modern human is he says look more like bigfoot that than a human walking down the street so and that's that's, that, that's my point altogether and because i yeah. happen to agree with that i think we we started out like bigfoot and i think that Some of us just didn't get caught up in the genetic engineering because I do believe there was a lot of genetic engineering. Mm -hmm. But as far as life being seeded from a, something that wasn't here, no, I just I, I don't feel like that was an ET thing. She had something here. They came and messed with it. Yeah. And um, when you look at Bigfoot, you kind of see where we could be because <clears throat> you got these big feet out there and. What I was listening, I think, uh, Colleen, I think it was a Whitley show that we did, and they were talking about Bigfoot. And one of the things that, or somebody was saying, is that it's like they can they can shift dimensions, and it's probably that they can just shift back into the etheric. Yeah, you know? I heard that. You know, so they, they right people. beside, yeah, they right beside you, and all of a sudden they're not, mm -hmm. and it's a dimensional shift. It, that's what I understood, right, Colleen? Yeah, um, and as I say, I've heard that. Uh, from several different sources, and not only Bigfoot, but there's other beings as well who can do that. But yeah, um, that maybe they were here originally, and things just got so crazy. They said, uh, you know, to heck with all this. But they can shift. 
And since that veil is getting thinner and thinner, you know, that veil between the dimensions, that there's all kinds of different sorts of things that we are able to see now that we didn't used to be able to see. Right. <laughs> I, I just had this image of this big Bigfoot thinking he's hiding behind the veil and all of a sudden realizes the veil isn't there anymore. Oops. Oops. <laughs> well, I think Stephen King, and the only book that he ever wrote, um, called The Talisman, speaks a lot about the interdimensionals coming through. I don't know if anybody's read that one. It's the only one of his books that I ever read that liked. And I used to have to read them because my brother would do all of his college theses on Stephen King. And I'd have to edit them and type them up and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, did, so he we want to be, did your brother want to be a writer as well? <laughs> well, if he wanted to be a writer, he wouldn't have me doing all the work. <laughs> he read like the cliff notes <laughs> oh. <laughs> or watch the movies, you know. <laughs> uh, wow. Now, well, at one point you were talking about um, whole, uh, I think it was you, talking about whole civilizations that were disappearing into another fold of, of dimension. Or what, what was that story you were telling? Oh, you mean the the Native Americans that fled? Yes, yes. They had to be released? Yeah, yes. that's... that's um, Documented in that book, The Serpent of Light, one of the latest books put out by Drumbalo Melchizedek, when they went to the southwest. Um, and you're the one who corrected me because I wasn't sure if he was talking about the Anasazi or the Hopi or the Hopi. Uh, Anasazi, I think. Yeah, and because they never found anything. I mean, these people disappeared before uh, European colonists came to the continent. And according to the story that he tells in the book, is that these people knew what was coming, that there was going to be changes in the continent, that you know these newcomers were going to come and their whole civilization was going to be you know destroyed around them. So they figured the best way to get out of there is to move into this... Uh, like a bubble reality, like a like a sub-dimension within the 3D. And he says what happened is that it didn't turn out to be what they expected. They were literally trapped there, and they've been trapped there since they since they did this. So they they did this huge ceremony inside a kiva, you know, these openings in the ground, and they have pictures there in the book, and they opened that up, and they were released so that they, these entities could leave. Obviously, they were not physical anymore, but at least their etheric uh, population was able to leave and and be released from this, you know, 3D uh, space. In the same book, he goes on to explain that the Mayans did something like it, but they were smarter the way they did it. Uh, instead of going into a pocket reality, they literally went into the uh, one of the subdimensions of the earth. So that's how they fled, and they, they're still around. Because when he was there in Yucatan with his group, uh, they let, they actually appeared to him, and he had to, they had this big thing, big dramatic thing happen to them, because it turns out that he discovered, talking to those Mayans that had gone into the uh, subdimension of the earth, he found out 
uh, this is the way it's documented in the book, that that custom of sacrificing humans to some deity, you know, by cutting open their chest and tearing out the beating heart, that was actually uh, um, a corruption. There were these dark entities from another dimension that were the ones doing this because they wanted energy to go back home and they didn't know how to get back home. So when you do, if you can imagine how horrifying it is to sacrifice someone and tear out their beating heart, I mean, the, the release of emotional energy is off the scales. So thus where these uh, Mayans had fallen into that horrible practice because they were being mentally manipulated by these entities. And it turns out that one of the ladies in the group actually was possessed by this collective group of entities. And when they were um, visiting one of the crystal skulls, they had to actually, several men, it took this little skinny woman, actually, they needed three big guys to actually hold her down because uh, she she was... She got so strong all of a sudden that she wanted to destroy the the crystal skull. So they did this. Uh, uh, he again he did the same type of ceremony using the octahedron and calling upon the help of Archangel Michael. And he says we were in the inside of an in the parking lot of the motel where they were staying. And he says and there were palm trees around the parking lot. And when he started doing this the ceremony process to release these entities. He says there was such a um, hurricane-type wind that came through the area. He says, we we thought for a moment that the van was going to fly off. So uh, he convinced these entities, you know, you've been trapped here for so long. What you actually want is to go back to your dimension. So they were released, and they went up the off the, the top of the tetrahedron, so the, the poor woman was released from this. And he says when he, they got out of the van, he says the, uh, the, the palm trees around the parking lot were toppled. It was like they were completely horizontal. They were lying on the ground by the force of the wind that had uh, started when he did that uh, ceremony. So that's, uh, that's all in the, like I said, it's all in the book, Serpent of Light. Well, I got a different interpretation of what really happened. <laughs> I can remember I was out in the Merkaba with a, I've told the story before, but I was out in the Merkaba with a, a, two, a friends of mine, a couple. And um, Diane and I were talking about something, and her husband, uh, Barry, was just sort of sitting there. And all of a sudden, it was like we were transported out of where we were, and we were inside a tower. And as I looked at her, <clears throat> there was a a window to her left, and, but there was a sort of a solid kind of wall behind her. And there was another window over to my well on my right, so this was this was opened. And from that view, you could see what I think is um, the Mayan. Uh, I'm trying to think. Sichenicha uh, is that what they call it? Oh, it's yes. Like, oh. Well, there's a lot of them, but the one that's got the sun, the the sun pyramid and the moon pyramid and and the Orion uh, layout. Oh, you mean the Chichen Itza complex? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, that's what I think it is because when I saw that, I went, "Oh, I've seen that before." Um, so 
we're having this discussion, and she is trying to convince me to leave. And I'm trying to convince her to stay because I felt that humanity was still worth trying. And she's like, but we tried in Egypt. We tried, and she's listening all these places that, you know, apparently this group of people had tried to um, educate, change, enlighten. I'm not sure what they were really trying to do. Because I couldn't, I don't know the details. They they didn't come with me. It was just this this discussion we're having, and um, all of a sudden, boom, we're back in the Merkaba. And I looked at her, and she looked at me. She said, "She said that just happened." And I said, "Yeah, were you someplace else?" And I, she said, "Yes." And I said, "We were talking about leaving," and she said, "Yes." And her husband now is like, "What what 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 happened?" You know. So we we start to relate the conversation, and um, he said to me, "Well." What happened? And it was, he asked us both. And she said, all I know is I left. And I said, all I know is I stayed. And he said, well, what happened after you stayed? And so now I had to kind of tie into whatever memory might be there of what happened to this person who didn't leave. Uh, what happened after that? And um, there was somebody else of that group that stayed with me or him, or, you know, I mean, because, again, this is more like a past lifetime thing than, you know, anything else. And so I started describing this trek that we made north and then coming across this this uh, civilization, and I start describing it, and he he looks at me and says, well, that sounds like Keiko Canyon. And I said, what's Keiko Canyon? Never heard of it. And that's where the Anastasi lived. And so when I think about, well, then I, then I would... Um, because now I'm now in, in a reference point of somebody who's opened a, a file on this character that lived, God only knows when. Um, well, it was at the time of the Mayans. And one of the things that I remembered when I kind of locked into this this file, and you'd get downloads. All of a sudden, you'd be kind of falling off to sleep, and all of a sudden, you'd get a, a download, a whole s- series of, of visual things in front of you. But one of the reasons that um, I think that there, that whole concept of uh, taking out the beating heart actually came from those people because best of my understanding of what I've seen is that they were from some other planet and they are sent on a kind of a suicide mission, sort of, if they stayed on the planet. Now, if you stayed on the planet and you died and your heart was still beating in you, their theory, not mine, um, then you would be reincarnated, but reincarnated in somebody on that planet. If you were dying and the only option was to get your heart out before you, it stopped beating, then you would be reincarnated on this other planet, their home planet. And that's what I think started up the whole Mayan concept of doing this ritual. And that during the ritual, it was the, 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 what those people that were sacrificed went through that created thought forms of the dark entities that then had to be confronted. That they, I don't think that those, those things were being created by the whole ceremony, the whole process of doing this to somebody. Makes sense. But that, that's, that's my take on it. And as you were explaining it, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting, you know, no, it didn't exactly happen like that. So, 
Um, well, it would make sense that one thing led to another. Like a, like he got, it was a corruption of something. So yes. the, here they, they copied this and it had nothing to do with God. It was these other people that were, you know, protecting their own kind. And it makes perfect sense that they would take their heart because that's where the soul is supposed to reside. It's not supposed to be in the brain. That's that's another distortion, and that's why part of the mind control thing, the the high soul is supposed to be sitting in the space in the heart. But right now it's sitting in, in the center of the head because they, they did that on purpose. They moved people away from their hearts. Think about it. You've seen... <clears throat> You've seen the articles, you've seen the videos, like you've seen the articles from the HeartMath Institute, you've seen the, the articles and presentations by Nassim Aramain, and where they all coincide, they all tell you that the heart is a phenomenal power plant, that it has a, an energy signature, that it makes the brain look like a tiny little pea compared to what the heart is. So given a choice... Where do you think a sentient soul would choose to reside? In this little raggedy hut that's about to <laughs> collapse or in this giant power plant that would let you do whatever you want to do? I mean, it's no contest. The well, the, interest, story- the interesting thing about the, the, the end of the story. Um, so this character, and he was male, gets to these people, the Anastasi, and he runs into a... Um, a shaman who's a female, old, gnarly kind of woman looking, you know, but weird because you'd, you'd look at her, but then you'd see the young person. She was continually fluctuating out of probably dimensions for all I know, but she was really hard to, to, to focus on because if you focused for very long, you'd see this beautiful young woman behind this gnarly kind of, you know, facade. And she began to teach him Instead of him teaching her, she began to teach him. See, the problem was in the past that every time they tried to to enlighten the human beings, the human beings would see them as gods, and they wouldn't listen anymore. It wasn't like, you know, take your power and here, do something. It was like, take your power, oh, I'll give it back to you. And it was always the same reaction. So they were always getting put into this kind of godlike position, which is very dangerous because... When you're put in that kind of a position, you want to become like that God. And, you know, it nurtured negative reactions within a certain number of this group that was here to essentially help enlighten. She, on the other hand, began to teach him the concept of what Barbara was talking about, the unification, the tribal, the tribal consciousness, the concept of um, immersing yourself in nature. <clears throat> the concept that there is all these spirits around that, that you know, and, and introduced him to an entirely different kind of reality. So at the time that he was very, well, <laughs> he got very old and she sort of didn't. I mean, it was like, it was very strange. But um, I don't know whether it was older age or whether it was some kind of an accident or something, but he was dying. And he, she knew about this concept of, you know, taking the heart out so that you could incarnate back in your planet. And he said, no, I want to, I want to stay here. I want to come back here. And so she said, um, you will be buried 
And when you see your heart again, you will know that it's the end times. Now, I can remember that clearly, but I never remembered that clearly until a friend of mine gave me a birthday present. And when I opened it up, it was an amethyst geode. Well, it wasn't amethyst. It was a quartz geode, and a geode is a big rock. And this thing was probably eight inches by maybe five inches. And it was split down the middle, so you've got this clear face on it. And this was uh, just regular uh, quartz kind of configuration, uh, you know, the matrix of it. And then they dyed it. So you had this blue face to it. It was all this blue face. But in the middle of this blue face, I could see the heart. It's the same size as a human heart. It looks like a human heart. And as soon as I saw that, I flashed back and I can remember her telling him that. When you see your heart again, it's the end times. Now that thing is, I don't even know where it is. I keep, I keep going like, where did I put that? And there's so many different places. It's probably outside someplace. But over the years, <clears throat> interestingly enough, the blue that had been complete over the face. I mean, the, the whole it's it's absorbed. It's blue agate. You see a blue agate has been dyed, and it's it's all over it. But over the years, the blue has come out of everything and has migrated to where the heart is. So now, when you look at it, you see all this clear agate, and in the middle, where you where it's even got like the ventricles are even observable. I'll have to take a picture of it if I can find it and show you guys. And all the blue has migrated into this heart. So now the heart is like just sitting there. So um, make make of that what you will. Just another story from my repertoire. Comment. But the thing is that, okay, you have the sign. It's the end times. What was the what what was the suggestion? Get the heck out or do something about it? No, that she had she had prepared him with certain information. That's what I felt, and mm -hmm. and that's part of why I feel so certain that whatever happens will be okay, because I know that I am not alone, that others have information that that we haven't even been able to grasp yet, because it's there. We wouldn't be on this road if we weren't going to succeed. So I, it's, it doesn't feel feel you know like something I should be afraid of at all. Mm -hmm. It's just be prepared, be aware. You know that this is this is the, being the end times of the badness. It wasn't the end times of the goodness. It was just the end times of the badness. So I think that when Barbara mentions the the fifth world, I think that that's what she's talking about. It's the same kind of prophecy. Mm. Makes sense. Fifth world, fifth dimension. I don't want to go to the fifth dimension. I like the third dimension. I just want to clean it up. <laughs> But well, I also like the etheric, and but the etheric and the third dimension, it's all part of the same thing. Well, that's the, the explanation that Simon Parks does, is that he says, if, if you're in the fifth dimension, you don't look transparent, you're not a ghost. Solid things are solid. And, and you're in the fifth dimension, you have all states of matter, solid, liquid, and gaseous. What happens is that you are vibrating at that frequency, therefore uh, you're not seeing the fourth, you're not seeing the third. 
once you change your signature, you shift back and forth. So that, that's one of the, those beliefs, built-in beliefs that anything that's above the physical has to be etheric because it's another vibration. No, that's not it. It's not. I mean, when I do a shamanic journey, solid things are solid. I have to respect the laws of physics. I can't walk through a wall <laughs> unless the wall magically chooses to open in the middle. So, but interestingly we, enough, in remote viewing, I can. Because you're viewing, you're not. Because I'm viewing. Exactly, that's a totally different uh, mechanics right there. Yep. Yep. So we're at eight minutes to the end of the show. Anything else you want to, Colleen? You want to jump in here and say something about anything? <clears throat> um, you have it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask uh, Nancy a question if she had had any more, uh, any indications of any more uh, frequencies for the dialer, or is that totally idle and shut off now? Uh, it's still got the tyranny one in it. Um, oh. Yeah, it's still it's still running, but it's got the tyranny one in it, and I, I'm not. It, it, what, what I see it doing is that it's actually. Um, it's kind of pulling in, it's pulling in other energies outside of, uh, outside of its own frequency. Mm-hmm. And making slight changes. So I suspect that there's some, um, it may be counteracting certain things. In other words, if, if the black side decides to do something, it's probably going, oh, well, you're going to do that. Well, that's not going to be allowed. And yeah, you're going to do this, you know, because it does feel like this particular frequency is, um, more sentient, if mm-hmm. I can say that. There's more sentience associated with it. It's not just a pure frequency. It's almost like, you know, there's something more behind this frequency. It has been from the get-go. So you're, it's... You're, you're reminding me of the, of the tetrahedron that went to the gym, that it would be able to produce the anti-tones to free them from those control tones. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's the same kind of concept. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. Now, I, I personally have been feeling, of course, I, I, I got a shun mag on and all sorts of shun guide around me. I don't know if it's that, but I don't know if other people are feeling the same thing. It's, um, it's almost like a, a feeling of hyper energetics in that there's a lot more, I feel like my body has got <laughs> a lot more vibration in it. That, 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 the, the 3D physical is actually vibrating higher. Um, it, in the past, if I felt like this, I'd probably want to drink. I mean, like alcohol. <laughs> you know, it's almost, it's almost to the point of a jitter, but not. And I'm having these bizarre episodes of, Getting really tired at weird times. Well, not really weird times, but, you know, at 10 o'clock. And then as soon as it gets to be like 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm like wide awake. Mm. And now that happens, that happened in the past, but it's even getting more. Um, it, it's a, it's a peculiar thing. Uh, so I don't know if anybody else is feeling this, you know, like energized state. Um, I'm feeling vibrations in different parts of the body for no yeah. 
no explanation. It's just like like you're almost touching a, a little vibrator or something. Yeah. So there, <laughs> there, there's definitely um, tweaking being done to probably uh, well, like you know, we 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 didn't talk about the DNA, and I'm just going to say this that back in 2013, apparently there was a release that they had found at the University of Washington that there is a we know that DNA has a linguistics to it, and that there's a second language that sort of was hidden underneath the first one. There you have so, it. Yeah, so what, what what I wanted to say about that is that talking back about the genetics is that if if they don't know that's there, that may be what screwed up everything, <laughs> that there was an underlying <laughs> DNA um, that they didn't see. Maybe they did know about it. But we're just, well, we're 2015, and I'm just hearing about this, and I do pay attention to anything that's related to DNA because it's fascinating to me. But, um, yeah, DNA has got, the more they look at it, the more unbelievable it is. And if they're seeing two languages at the 3D level, I suspect there's a lot more languaging that's done, that's carried with it as, like, almost harmonics because all of the messaging, the language is really... Vibrations, energy. Well, it's, it is a living library, so um, yep. I, I've always felt that it was a. It, it's a sent like the same way that we say that Shungite has sentience DNA. Of course, it's sentient. How can yep. something that has so much information on it not be some have some, some level of sentience? And the Russians believe that the number one thing that can reprogram DNA as a human voice. So be aware of that. Anytime you start to get out of control and you start to say things that are have an edge to them, that you're not only just saying them and, oh, it's okay, you're actually causing problems with people's DNA and your own. And if you take nothing away from you except that, remember, your voice can reprogram DNA. And then tomorrow... Uh, right before the fans of Whitley Strieber show, I'll be reading the um, Zephyrus Archives, Mission of Eternity. What's that about? Oh, you'll like it a lot. It's a book about how the Christian religion and Jesus became the... Um, 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 uh, the leader of the new religion, Christianity. Uh, it mentions, uh, uh, shoot, uh, Longinus in it, uh, as well as many of the historical Christian characters and uh, Joseph of Arimathea. It's a pretty good story. Um, no, is it fiction or nonfiction? Well, you know. <laughs> I'm it's sure. Non-fiction, it's fiction. I'm sure. You know, although you know, I'm sure that there's a whole big mixture of stuff in there. Uh, the guy who wrote it. So it, uh, it doesn't say that it's the Roman Empire that created the church. It kind of, sort of does. Yes, it does. Oh, okay. But um, th- there's some factual information in there, as well as you know, poetic license uh, and such as well. But it's a good story. I am enjoying it quite a bit reading it. Does it does it say that uh does it ex- explain that Jesus used to teach the doctrine of reincarnation but it was the empress who decided to sh- strike it out of the uh the writings? It does indeed speak of reincarnation quite often. 
there are actual <coughs> conversations with Yeshua, uh, otherwise known as Jesus. Um, so it's it's quite an interesting read, you know. Yes, it's, it's kind of. I'm sorry, Walt. Go ahead. No, no, sorry. It's just it's funny when you think about it that people think the Roman Empire disappeared. It didn't disappear. It just mutated into another form. <laughs> the British Empire and then the American, yes. <laughs> All these mutations. That's why. That's why the IRS takes our money to the Vatican. <laughs> The Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. We're out of here. See you all next week. Good night, everybody. Thanks, guys. Great show. See Thank you, later. and appreciate you all. Love you guys. Be safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart.